0: Tech Talk talk. with Jess Kelly. This
1: is News Talk.
2: Hello, and welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll hear how AI chatbots are helping college students to engage as normal life resumes. Derek Riley takes the mini EV for a spin. And we'll hear from the Irish entrepreneur behind BoomBright. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at jesskellynt. Now, have you ever engaged with a chatbot? Maybe you have and you didn't even realize it, but the technology is becoming more sophisticated, more widely used and more useful. Chatspace is an Irish company creating this technology to help in work and education settings. CEO John Clancy joins me now to discuss one of their latest projects, which has recently been deployed to some third-level institutions. Uh, John, you're very welcome to the show. Before we talk about that particular program, can you just give us a bit of an introduction to ChatSpace?
1: Yeah, thanks, Jess. Um, Yeah, I founded ChatSpace back in 2017 um, and our kind of our core uh, competencies and kind of we honed our skills in conversational AI Machine learning and intelligent search, uh, initially for some of the world's largest companies uh, like Nestle, Matronic. and uh, since then we've kind of we've grown and uh, raised investment to kind of scale the business and productize what we had learned over the past three years. And uh, today, or in the last uh, couple of weeks, we launched our first kind of AI product um, for the uh, for the space for the edtech space, mm-hmm. and that's where we are today
2: before we talk about that can you just explain to everybody listening how exactly um this type of technology works and different use cases because i'm sure people would have come across it but may not have realized that this is what it is so can you just explain in sort of black and white terms what exactly we're talking about
1: yeah well i mean simply put in especially now in our in our hybrid world how we engage as you know, employees consumers and as people has totally changed everyone Expects a personalised, faster, better experience now more than ever. And to our clients and to our users, you know, there's kind of three stages that, that, that they kind of go through. One is how do we engage our team or our customers with more relevance? You know, this is typically done through a conversational AI, which is either voice or chat enabled. Which a lot of people who have come across from you know chatbot functionality. Um, but our kind of area is more information retrieval, more of a transactional AI. Ask a question, get a relevant answer across multiple languages, 24/7. Now, this sounds quite, you know, uh, simple. Um, but, but when you're dealing with very large organisations with hundreds of thousands of people working for them, you need a, you need some type of virtual assistant, somebody, that some type of technology that will be there so you can simply type a request in, you know, Microsoft Teams or in Slack to say, "I'm looking for something. I want something." I'm looking for a report, I'm looking for a document, and our technology is able to scan the database where that information sits, it's able to look into that document, extract out uh, the paragraph that it believes you're looking for, and give you the link in that chat experience, which is a simple conversational AI, and you can do this by talking to it or by typing and chatting to it. And then the kind of last layer of our technology is that we've built a powerful machine learning platform that will predict um, risk around people's, you know, behavior in an organization or in a company. Um, You know, for example, you know, we started out predicting pump failure across uh, fifty thousand vacuum pumps across Asia um, uh, to more accurately predict when pumps would fail, and then we took that into a financial risk model for. Uh, digital transformation projects, to look at, from a data point of view, how are uh, projects progressing based on the thousands of other projects that have gone before it. So our AI looks at how you're engaging at present and what that behavior looks like, and also it looks at um, more structured data, which is ones and zeros that sit in a database that have been there for years, and it looks at that pattern of behavior, combines it with the behavior of the present, and then gives you an insight to say, Based on the behavior of your of this particular employee or this particular student, here is how we predict the outcome to be. Whether that's going to be, you know, they need some intervention, they might need help, um, etc.
2: Yeah, that, that, that is incredible. And I think the different applications of this technology is truly transformational. We often talk, talk about transformational tech, and that is a prime example. I want to go back to the, um, the chatbot t- type technology for a moment, because uh, you gave some examples there of, you know, I'm looking for a document or I'm looking for the phone number for HR or whatever it is. Uh, in terms of what is done on the back end, how much time and how many answers and how many scenarios do you set the AI, up, the AI up to be able to deal with? And, you know, is that something that's easily added to over time? Is it a consistent maintenance thing? Like, how I'm always curious as to how exactly that end works.
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. In the past, and this is the way this technology has evolved. I mean, we've all had, and I'm a consumer, we've all had very bad experiences with, you know, trying to engage you know, an online portal experience with the chatbot from a banking perspective or from whatever. Um, but our approach has been that we use what's called like an inverted index. Can you imagine getting a triangle and turning it upside down? And the reality is most companies and organizations have a lot of information, but people only want to access probably about 10 to 20% of it. So we start with what they've been looking for in the past, and we build that in, and we've built in what's called a feedback loop so that if we when we deploy our AI for the first couple of months it's it like as we always say and we've said with with Cara with uh, the universities is that you know we're we're here to help and we're learning and it does learn and it learns autonomously it'll learn on its own so that if it doesn't know the answer to the question it knows there's a team of people in that university experts in the domain that will know the answer and it will automatically push that question to this expert's channel that might sit across their one of their communication tools in that organisation, it will watch and look at how it answers, how that person answers that question, and it will automatically feed that answer into the AI. So the next time a student or a, an employee or a person comes in and asks that question, it will be able to handle it, it itself.
2: There have been famous examples of AI that have been um, manipulated or, you know, turned against a user. There there was a a famous example not that long ago, well, a few years ago now on Twitter, uh, where there was a Twitter bot set up by one of the tech companies and people were manipulating it and, like, abusing that fact there. So, you know, once it reaches a dead end and it seeks, um, you know, human interaction to learn an answer and so on, it gets manipulated. There was a a famous uh, app that went viral here in Ireland a few years ago that was... um, again, misused by young people and then it essentially became a, a cyberbullying tool uh, for some students for a period of time. What parameters are put in place to prevent that? Obviously, you know, if they're in organisations and so on, it's likely that that sort of stuff won't happen. But the potential is always there, isn't it?
1: It is. And look, AI, you know, this goes back to the whole question of bias and ethics in AI, but AI is a mirror, really, of society. And there are good parts of society, and there are very bad um, you know, areas or sections in society. Um, but what's, what's very important, would say, for us and for with Cara in universities, that we would set the threshold of truth, as we would call it, quite high. So that if our AI doesn't understand what you're asking, then it will escalate it automatically a real person because all of these companies and all of these organizations have great levels of support especially in universities they will have all the financial help academic help mental health and well-being help and structures but it's getting access to them quickly and more efficiently um is what's important um for the for the end user but unfortunately yes some people will try and um and look we've seen that in the past you know and what it will do is it will say look i you know we've programmed and this ai will you know, interact in a way to say, look, I I don't believe I can help you with the answer to that question, Um, and it will, you know, curtail the conversation. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, that does exist in AI, and it exists for a number of reasons. You know, at the front end, you have people trying to hack it or trying to, you know, or it can also represent data incorrectly, you know, which Mm -hmm. is bias in AI, which is an issue that a lot of AI companies need to be aware of and embrace. Um, because it's it's it goes to the core of ethics in the future of how you're going to build AI because it's here and it's you know it's here to stay.
2: Mm, you, you make a really good point there in terms of the the people that are around because very often when we talk about any type of automated uh, automation within technology, uh, people get their backs up saying you know you're doing someone out of a job. However, as I understand it, a lot of this technology is for those. Either menial, repetitive tasks like, for example, I could chat to a particular store on a fa- Facebook using a chatbot asking what time does your Grafton Street store open, saving me a phone call, saving somebody, you know, that repetitive question that I'm sure they get asked a billion times a day. I get what I want, the store gets what they want, and there you go. But how important is that, you know, it's a collaborative technology rather than an intimidating one or one that's going to, you know, completely unearth everything we've ever thought about the future of work?
1: Yeah, and I think yeah, there's, there's kind of two things you're touching on there. One is like general intelligence uh, in AI, and one is the area that we're focused on, which is like narrow intelligence. Because, you know, our AI is... We've built it for specific tasks to automate, like you correctly said, the routine and mundane in people's jobs. You know, any any kind of change, people, you know, and all that used to change over the last, you know, eighteen months. But people are very hesitant to change. Um, but AI, it's it should it's enabling people to focus more on what's important in their in their if it's if this is deployed. At a commercial level in large enterprises, it just takes away the, for example, if you're a, a project manager in a large enterprise, you don't want to be thinking about, oh, have I submitted my timesheets? Have I invoiced the, uh, the clients on time? Uh, when's the last time I emailed um, my client? I, I would like a co-pilot. I would like a data-driven co-pilot to tell me, John, it's Friday. You need to submit your timesheets. You'd need to do X, Y, and Z. Would you like me to do that for you? Yes, please do. So I can call the client. I can generate more value. Um, I can enjoy my job more because AI should actually. Uh, this will help people have more meaningful impact in their jobs, and not to be focused on, you know, doing the routine and mundane part of their uh, of their jobs, which nobody wants to do.
2: Mm. You also referenced earlier in the conversation um, some frustrations that people can encounter when they are when they're utilising this technology. I myself, in recent weeks, have had experiences with a delivery company. And I was trying to use the chatbot tool on their website. Then I tried to call their office and all they had was an automated phone service. And overall, if you don't get the resolution you want, it can give negative connotations or, or, you know, create that sense of they don't care, you know, because they're just having this instead of someone who can actually engage and solve the problem. Have you found that there's a balance to be struck in terms of front-facing AI alongside traditional customer service? Uh,
1: Yes, there 100% is. And, you know, from from our point of view, our our focus is more internal customers and is more of an employee experience and student experience. Because, you know, uh, we, I believe firmly in that if any, we do a lot of, you know, uh, AI advisory for clients to say, Look, if you're going to bring in a new technology, we highly suggest that you internally crowdsource this development first. Go to your own team, deploy it where there's a problem, get your own team to use it, understand it, uh, question it, test it before you deploy to the most important asset in your company, which are your customers. Don't deploy it because a lot of people don't, a lot of clients will deploy um, a conversation like I in particular to customers without having their own internal teams understanding it implicitly. And you can, it's easier to make the mistakes with your employees or with your team because then you can quickly fix them and understand, okay, let's make this experience better. As you said, there's no point escalating to a, an automated uh, you know, voicemail. You need to have that, you need to map out every step and see where data can remove workflows, make, time, make things shorter, easier, and faster. And typically these are transactional because and a lot of, and especially a lot of students. We did a lot of, you know, uh, testing and cases with uh, with the students um, in universities before this went live. And a big, overwhelming feedback was what two things. One, is what I found is when I, when I was doing a webinar and I wanted some, you know, interaction, and somebody pinged me to say they are interacting with you. You've got, you know, 50 DMs on the chat function, which really led me to believe, okay, this is how they want to engage. They don't want to talk on this webinar they want to they want to chat um which was a very deep you know kind of insight for ourselves to say okay this is you need to go where the people are mm. and part of that development then was with students and the funnily enough the you know universities from us from the from the back end from the support and from the team that actually work in the universities they wanted a very friendly experience and a very but the students wanted a more transactions experience i want to find something, I want to know where something is, and they wanted it quickly. Um, and that experience has to at least be at, at the same level as they would expect if they were talking to a real person, or else there's no point doing this, because if you're not improving a process, regardless of the technology you're putting in, then it's a total waste of time.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I, I'd be really intrigued to see uh, the the car product which we're going to talk about now in action, because I've looked quite a bit at how... Younger generations are engaging with technology and a few things jump out at me. Firstly, the the Netflix experience, you know, that on-demand on content, I want to be able to get what I want, where I want it, as often as I want it, uh, and I don't mind paying for it, but it just needs to be there when I want it. So that's number one. We want that experience in pretty much every aspect of our lives and if we don't get it, we're disappointed. Number two, the point of interacting via text. I think that's fascinating. I do a lot of work with the ISPCC and Childline, and a few years ago, they introduced a a text-based service and a web-chat-based service because they found some children were more comfortable doing that. So then it makes sense that as they grow up, they're more comfortable with that as a method of communication. And I also think, and this could just be me, and maybe I'm projecting, I feel like, because a lot of that generation know what this technology is, they don't need a chat bot to go, Hi, Jessica Kelly in Dublin. I hope you're having a wonderful day. You know, everything is great and the sun is shining. Like any of that, uh, you know, add-on junk. I just feel, once we know we're chatting to a bot, you can kind of strip away with that and have that very functional transaction of, what do you need? I need to know what time the library is open at. Here's the information go about your day you know i think it could be more stripped back in some instances does that resonate with what you found
1: yes it 100 does i mean we're dealing with digital natives here you know i didn't grow up with ipads i didn't grow up with you know my i have you know three young kids and how they interact with technology is fascinating i mean my four-year-old looks at ads on the television television she's like no 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 what is this i don't want that you know bring this you know they won't watch anything live they'll watch it as you touched on earlier, when they want it and how they want it, whether that's on a phone, a, a screen, an iPad, you know, a traditional TV in their in their eyes. And also I do think there's been, especially in the advent of, well, hopefully in the advent of uh, the COVID pandemic in voice. I think voice is really going to see its time in the next two or three years. You know, I, I see, you know, especially 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, they talk to technology. They're saying, find me. Uh, get me, you know, when it comes to YouTube kids or whatever, they're not typing, they're not putting in the, the, they're not using a key, a traditional keyboard. They're talking to the technology as if it's just there to get them information. Mm-hmm. And it is that, and it is that appreciation that we don't need that anymore. And we introduce Cara as, you know, we're an AI. Uh, my name is Cara We're here to help. You know, I'm learning. Have some patience. You know, and I think people automatically then would just they jump straight in because. That's the world, you know, they are digital natives that we're engaging.
2: Yeah, we've mentioned Cara a few times. Um, Can you just tell us a a little bit about uh, the exact functionality of it and uh, the the colleges that are currently using it?
1: Well, you know, students today are balancing remote and on-campus life now more than ever. And, you know, as a result, there's a very increasing need um, for students to feel more engaged with their university. And the old models of engagement, whether that be, you know, phone calls or emails, need to be enhanced. They're just not enough, you know, and especially people want a 24-7 experience. um, Their universities typically can have thousands of pages on their website. They can have hundreds and thousands of documents that students need to access. And it becomes very time-consuming to find simple pieces of information. So all we've done is fronted the technology. We use the legacy systems in universities, whether that is databases where information sits, systems to book a library like you touched on earlier. And they can do this through a chat experience to say, hi, Cara, I'm looking for what is the latest COVID policy at the university? Um, Where can I find information about how to pay my fees? Where can I pay my fees? Um, My exams, what's happening regarding exams? And we then um, push, we, because we can see at the back end what's been asked. So we can start prioritizing answers so they can get them faster and better, or prioritize documents. If they're looking for an assignment that's due, you know, we know that come that date, because we, we know the, the path that the, this student is taking to the college, we can say, okay, that more than likely they're gonna be looking for this information. So we, we push it up the queue so they can access it faster um, and better. And at its core, it's an AI that will help students engage with a personalized learning experience to the college. We started out, it's been phased. Phase one is engaging students better. You know, the, you've, we've all seen FAQ pages mm-hmm. on websites. And, so we've taken that to kind of another level to say, look, you can go a bit deeper. And I mean, and some of the questions are quite, you know, they're, you know, how do I fill my water bottle? You mm-hmm. know, very basic stuff. But... If you are, and especially now, if you think about every university in Ireland and across the UK, you've got two sets of first years this year. You have de facto second years that are de facto first years because they've never set foot on campus. So you've a lot of people arriving. You could have 10,000 students arriving on the campus that have never been there before, that need to simply navigate. Where is, you know, the lecture hall that I'm looking for, you know, and have that experience on their phone so that they can put in, where is the lecture hall? It'll give them the link to the lecture hall and a link to Google Maps to say, here, here's how you navigate your way on campus to that lecture hall. Um,
2: Yeah, that that would have been so beneficial. I went to UCD and I, I, I wasn't there during Covid or anything like that. It was way back in 2007. But I remember my first few months on campus and feeling completely lost and not wanting to ask questions because you don't want to seem like a fool. And those FAQ pages that you mentioned, they almost work off a base of assumed knowledge. So if there is that judgment-free place that you can just talk to an AI, ask a question and get a specific answer, I think that could be hugely beneficial. I also wonder, is it beneficial in the instance of, like you mentioned, say, the COVID policy, for example. If I put that COVID policy question into Google for my particular university, I could get one answer on a Tuesday and then it could change by the following Wednesday. If I ask the the, the AI, I'm assuming it will pull the latest in terms of what I need to know. Therefore, minimising the risk of me reading an old article or getting old information or inaccurate information now because it has been outdated, etc.
1: Yes, it will. And it does it automatically. You know, we, we would scrape all of the external information that any university would have regarding whether that's on a website Um, And once that's updated, the AI is automatically updated. It will look for the most recent information because it has to be relevant. I mean, there's no point, you know, trying to engage somebody with like yesterday's information Mm. because very quickly they'll drop it if it's not a benefit. So from from the student's point of view, and that's kind of phase one, is how do we improve that engagement? And we've really found as well, you know, a lot of people, and you touched on it there earlier, but, you know, childlike. There's a lot of mental health and a lot of well-being issues that people have that they don't feel comfortable with, you know, on on the phone or calling that they will ask an AI and then automatically and very quickly, it because there are fantastic levels of support in universities, it will escalate that question to the person that can provide that support and they will reach out much faster rather than sending an email that could be replied to in a couple of hours, but this can happen very, very quickly and it will be, um, and it it's it's kind of attention and care and engagement when and where it's needed. So this type of virtual assistant for students, and that's the next step where we want to go with this. You know, once we understand how students are engaging, that's the kind of picture of the present. And where we're going with phase two is to marry this with a picture of the past, which is most universities have, you know, databases that will cover academic records, sports and social clubs, library access, uh, fees, admissions, And we access those databases to build a picture of the past to say, okay, based on how Jess as a student is engaging with the university and based on where her behavior from, because you have to access various systems in the college Mm. for your education regarding reports, assignments, we can start building a picture of your behavior and to say to the college, we believe for these reasons, Um, you haven't accessed the sports and social club, you haven't joined the students' union, you seem to be a bit disengaged from the university. You are a student at risk and somebody needs to reach out and say, hello, how can I help? And there's lots of that support in the university, but to find the students before they fall through the gaps is a crucial uh, part of uh, where this technology is going to go because one in five students will never graduate. It's like, it's a huge um, dropout rate. The dropout rate in Ireland, is greater than it's between 12 and 13 percent in first year alone. Mm. So this won't solve that whole problem because there's many other factors. But at least it will be able to identify students at risk. You know, for for enterprises, we started out identifying you know financial risk and projects at risk, and we've taken that um, kind of that approach uh, into the our this kind of decision intelligence engine as we like to call it, and providing those insights to students at risk to the university to say. Here are the students that we believe you need to take care of.
2: It, it, as you said at the top, you know it sounds quite simple, but to to get those kind of results and to implement it, I understand uh, how much work goes in from your side. But I do think it sounds fantastic, and I really am looking forward to speaking with you again to hear about the next iteration of this and all of the other projects you're working on. Uh, John Clancy, the CEO of ChatSpace, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you, Jess. Coming up next here on News Talk, Derek Riley takes the new mini-EV for a spin.
1: Tech Talk with Jess Kelly.
2: Techtalk at Newstalk.com, as ever, is the email address if you'd like to get in touch. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Tech Talk podcast on the uh, Newstalk app powered by GoLoud. Just search for Tech Talk, hit subscribe and a new episode will appear on your device as if by magic every Friday afternoon. Uh, We are now going to talk vehicles and I'm very excited to talk to Derek Riley of the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel today because... While I can't drive, the car that I have wanted since I was a child uh, is a Mini Cooper. I've been obsessed with Mini Coopers for as long as I can remember. My dream one would be in that sort of bottle green colour. And now, Derek, the lucky guy that he is, got to test out uh, the electric version of the Mini. Uh, Derek, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jess. Um. So as you heard me say there I'm a big fan of Mini and I actually saw the Mini electric when it was first unveiled. I was over at Goodwood in the UK and we were taken to a stand um that Mini was kind of hosting and we were brought in this very secretive room And shown the car, and the thing that I remember, aside from being very excited, was the fact that it had yellow wing mirrors, because that was going to be the distinguishing feature of an EV. Is that still a thing? Before we get into all the important stuff, does it still have yellow wing mirrors?
3: Would you like to know the name of that yellow? Oh, go on called Energetic Yellow.
2: See, I love that people spend time and effort in coming up with names for colours rather than just yellow because you wouldn't have known what I meant if I had just said yellow. Sure, you wouldn't. Exactly.
3: It has to be energy or electrifying or whatever it may be. So Energetic Yellow. Now, this is a divisive part of the Mini Electric because some people don't want to shout that they're driving an electric one. Why? Don't know. Just want to go undercover. Don't like that yellow colour, and so you can get it without the yellow wing mirrors, yellow accents around the, the the car itself. So if you don't want to shout that you're driving, because I'm not sure if the one that you saw in 2019 just had the electric wheels, and what I mean by that, they look like a three-pin socket. But that is an option as well. So you can make this as EV as you wanted to make it, or you can make it as typical. Nearly people wouldn't realize that it was an electric Mini. So there are extremes within that.
2: Yeah, I've read a bit about, you know, how you can kind of customize a whole host of it. Before we get into the more cosmetic side of it, let's talk about it as um, an EV, because obviously Mini has been around for a long time. The, the design of the one that everybody will know now is just so iconic. It's so striking. It's a beautiful looking car. um How does that all translate into the world of EV? So
3: what they've done is they've taken out the petrol engine, they've taken out the, uh, the petrol tank, and they've managed to squeeze in batteries along the transmission tunnel in underneath and in underneath the back seat. So um, the form factor is fairly nearly identical to a regular mini it is a bit higher that's the only thing because of that battery pack in underneath and the weight of that pack means that they have to put stronger uh, suspension springs into it so it there is a small bit in the height difference but overall it looks pretty much as a standard mini so uh, they haven't messed around with the the magic combination as you'd see it too much
2: well that is good to hear. Um, obviously one of the most important things that we talk about when we're discussing EVs is the range and mm. the battery capacity and the charge time etc. How did it perform for you?
3: So it has a 32.6 gross battery pack, which is then when they say gross, so a lot of your manufacturers will give you what's the maximum size of our battery and then what's usable. So they'll always keep a small bit in reserve. So usable on this is 28.9 kilowatt hours. Jess is looking into a meal as if I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean in range wise? the WLTP, which is the standardized range that all EVs use is 234 kilometers, but the real world is probably around 180, 190. So it is a smaller pack, it is a smaller range, but the Mini is, and the electric Mini, the all-electric Mini is made for urban environment. You're living in town, you do the majority of your journeys around your town or city, it's perfect for that.
2: And in terms of the the um, charge time, etc., what's the jazz on that front?
3: because it's a smaller battery, means that the charging time is less, which is a positive. So on a home charger, you'll charge it up in four hours and 45 minutes. And on a DC fast charger, it'll only take you 29 minutes to charge up the mini electric from 10 to 80%. So uh, there are benefits of having that smaller battery or a battery that suits your needs. So definitely people go, oh, I want 600 kilometers. I want 800 kilometers. The Mini is a small car with a smaller battery pack in it with a smaller range, but it is perfect if it suits your needs.
2: And surely with that that sort of speedy um, charge time, if you were doing a long journey, you wouldn't be sitting there at the side of the road at one of the chargers for long periods of time. You may have to do exactly. more stops of it, but you, you wouldn't be doing it. You wouldn't be half the day there waiting for it to charge.
3: Exactly. So the coffee addicts out there will be pulling in for their cup of coffee anyway, or if you've got uh, small children with you. So yeah, absolutely. Like all electric cars will go as long as you need them to go. As you said, you just have to charge them a bit more often. But with that smaller battery pack, there are the benefit is it doesn't take as long to fill it.
2: Uh, one of the things that we often discuss is how, because it's uh, battery powered rather than a traditional car, there isn't that big bulk in the back of the, the vehicles. Now, we know the Mini is quite a compact car in general. Does the back of the car feel roomier because it is an EV?
3: Unfortunately not because it is that mini size and with the electric it only comes in a three door variant. So the rear legroom is that bit smaller in it Um, and I'm six foot two, so I'm pushing the seat back as far as we can go. So you probably would get a child seat into it or small children at the back behind me but that's the same case in in all minis I think any of the three door sizes there's a small bit of a limitation in the in the rear seat and then in the boot then you're getting about 211 litres so you're talking like a small carry-on suitcase but then when you put down the back seats then that space opens up even bigger.
2: Okay uh, in terms of Who this is for? Like you mentioned there, it's probably ideal for if I could drive, when I can drive. Uh, Someone like me who lives in, like I live in Dublin, I commute into the city centre for work and then I go home again. That's kind of the extent of my activities at the moment. Am I the target demo for this then?
3: You are the target audience for this. So, it's people that are based in an urban environment or near to an urban environment, don't need massive range, don't need to be a lot of space. Uh, so, this could be your primary car. I see a lot of these used as a secondary car, so bringing the kids to school or heading down to the shops or whatever it may be, and then for longer trips than. That uh, you may have a, a different vehicle with a bigger battery that might get you all the way over to Mayo or Donegal. This will get you there, like you're saying, but it will be a couple of more stops. But for you are the perfect target audience for this, Jess, and I know that you like minis. So
2: mm-hmm. I just need to learn to drive. Um, and <laughs> we mentioned there about the the more cosmetic elements and the yes. customization, etc how far does it actually before we get to that I never asked you what does the front dash look like because me being the nerd that I am and me being the mini fan that I am when I was younger I got like a model mini set to make up and one of the things I loved was how the the dashboard it was very very like almost identical to what you'd see in the car is that iconic dashboard still there Is, is there more screens is there more tech within the within the dashboard of the car
3: Great question, yeah. So that central round display is there and you can get in a couple of different sizes. You've got those beautiful toggle switches in the head unit, but also in the dashboard itself. Um, and the differentiator between this and uh, some of the standard minis with the combustion engine is you've got this um, display in front of you, the digital instrument cluster. So that's in front of the actual steering wheel, whereas originally it was all through that central console. So you have that. And then on the model that I had, and there's four different trim levels, I had the electric collection, which is top of the range that has a heads up display as well. And some of the other levels have a head up display as well. So case wise, wireless charging, it has Apple CarPlay, it has that digital instrument cluster. Like it's competing with the, with the best that's in the market at the moment.
2: Okay, that makes me happy. Um, so let's talk about the external cosmetic-y bits and pieces and even the colour of the seats and so on. Because what I've, from what I've read, it does seem to be almost modular that you can pick and choose the different bits and pieces depending on which level you go for.
3: Yeah, lovely range of colours, internal, external, etc. So I had the island blue really nice they have uh, removed a lot of the energized energetic yellow uh, so there's a lot of glass black on it Uh, and one element that i really like about it and it's a bit of a head turner is i've got a multi-tone roof so that goes from a kind of a beautiful kind of a purpley blue in the middle then it's the same as my body color but it goes all the way into the black i actually don't know how they do it within the paint factory but Beautiful, really eye-catching. And the fact that that Mini is low down, people definitely know what color roof you have on it. But you can have a white roof, a black roof, depending on the trim levels. Um, so, and different types of alloy wheels. So there's, a, if you want to customize it to specifically yours and probably make it a unique, because there may not be somebody out there with the same combination as you, externally and internally, what I have internally is I've got a mix of fabric and cloth, mm-hmm. um, sorry, cloth and leather, apologies. So at the center of the seat is a kind of a gray fabric, beautiful, uh, nearly like a tweed is the word I'm thinking of. Uh, that kind of, you know, textured fabric and then along the sides of the seats and the- Beautiful seats, because really the Mini, because it has that low center of gravity, because of that battery pack is low down, it's like driving a go-kart. So you really need these seats that are hugging into the side idea. So not that I'd be scooting around corners, don't get me wrong, zero to 107.5 seconds, but seats and the comfort and the build quality, there's a lovely big steering wheel in it with a good bit, a bit of weight in it for driving around. So cosmetically, internally and externally, it's really nice, dress.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at images of it here now and I see what you mean about the, the roof. It does look like it's painted on it's, glass or something like that. It's incredible. Yeah, it's
3: really, it's like, trans, it's, it's, it's really intriguing how they can achieve, like, blending colors and, and stuff like that from, from a blue, from a purple to a blue to a black, it's, it's really nice. Uh,
2: let's talk a little bit about pricing. Um, as we've mentioned there a few times now, there are different levels, different tiers. So for the, the most basic in the lineup, what are we talking price-wise?
3: Starting off at 35,715, and then going all the way up to the electric collection, the one that I had, it is um, just over 46,000 euros. So not cheap, don't get me wrong, but, like you're paying for the brand, you're paying for the design, you're paying for that quality because B- Mini is owned by BMW, so it is that has that BMW gubbins inside in it. So uh, it is a premium brand, but I think you're getting good value for money.
2: Yeah, I I um I keep coming back to the 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 point on say if you do opt for one of these uh, Mini EVs, and if you do select to you know choose your colors and customize it in whatever way you fancy. How long of a lifespan will you get out of the car? as in how long before you have to replace the battery? Is it cheaper to replace the battery than trade in a car? Like I suppose my, my key question is, you know the way every car has a year on it. so we we now have you know uh, two, two, one or whatever the the reg is. Is that going to matter less in terms of EVs because cars can have their software updated, they can have batteries um, replaced, etc. Will this stand the test of time?
3: Yeah, for sure. And because unlike a mobile, a lot of people would say to me, would say, Derek, oh, is this like a mobile phone that it, you know it's useless after a couple of years? That's not the case with an electric vehicle or an EV because there's a battery management software in there. So it knows to cool down the, the charging and to ramp up the charging and whenever, depending on the state of charge and the state of health of the battery. So what will happen is in, a lot of manufacturers will give you years of warranty to say that the battery health will be X amount Oh, and this is just for many, this is for all manufacturers of electric vehicles. So I've never heard of anybody yet that's had to replace a battery in an electric vehicle because uh, something went wrong with it. Um, there would be an, an an odd one here or there, but mainstream wise, it will be as common as somebody having to replace an engine in a car, that kind of way once we have volumes on the road, every now and again, you'll get a combustion engine that might be an issue with it. Every now and again, you're gonna get a battery with an issue with it. And the beauty of an EV and the battery is with certain batteries, rather than taking out the whole pack, you'll be able to remove the individual cell that's causing the problem and then replace that cell back into it. And a battery cell could be potentially like um, like a tin of beans all the way down to nearly like a, a big chunky double A battery, that kind of size. So depending on, how that battery is made up but to answer your question don't worry about it the manufacturers will look after you with regards to warranty and then if you're buying second-hand vehicles outside of warranty you can go through and get your battery state of health checked at Mm -hmm. garages, etc and they'll say okay that battery was 100% when it was new now it's at 91% so you know what what you're dealing with
2: yeah, I'm intrigued by this idea and, and maybe it's just my brain overthinking it, which wouldn't be like me, but I would love to know any of any of you listening, you know, how, how long have you had uh, your EV4 and have you encountered any issues or have you upgraded different aspects? Because Derek, when we were talking after CES, we were talking about some of the notions uh, tech that different companies are putting in, in terms of software more than hardware. And I'm wondering Can all of that be done uh, retrospectively into a lot of these cars if it is just software-based? Or will it be a case that in five years' time, the tech will have developed so fast that actually you will need a new car to be able to utilise all this technology? Do you know what I mean? I I think it's fascinating.
3: Software, because really they're becoming like computers on Mm. wheels, really. So you can do software updates and that could potentially go back to the garage or the dealership that you've dealt with. A lot of new EVs will have over-the-air updates, so... It'll be just parked outside your house, or it'll have its own SIM card in it, and it'll take that update down uh, during the night or over there air whenever, uh, and it'll update it. So yeah, you definitely hear hear of stories where electric cars are getting more range because they've they've fine tuned the software within it. So for sure, the future is because manufacturers, battery technology and battery materials it's a finite resource. So we have to make sure that we're using them right. We're getting as much energy out of them as we can. And then when they come to end of life, that they're reused in in a second battery or wherever it may be. So manufacturers aren't just building this and selling it and forgetting about it. They wanna make sure that you get first of all, value out of it a return on your investment and that the battery itself is lasting because nobody wants a, a, an electric vehicle that has poor battery health. It's not good for the brand, it's not good for the experience.
2: Mm, absolutely. Um, well, that's it. That's the mini EV. Uh, Derek Riley of the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel. As always, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk.
3: Thanks, Jess. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, as you know, we love supporting Irish companies here on the show. If you know of someone who is an entrepreneur, an aspiring entrepreneur, or someone who just needs a bit of a push, you can email techtalk at newstalk.com. We would love to feature them on the programme. And one such company that caught my eye not that long ago is Boombrite a device landed on my desk and it has been created by Neil Duffy, who joins me now. Neil, you're very welcome to the show. Can you just explain what BoomBright is?
0: Well, BoomBright is a Bluetooth speaker and light combined. You operated by a remote control and it can be also taken outside so it's water resistant. It can be hung upside down from a pergola or um, a brolly. And it can also be used inside. It's uh, portable so it charges like your like your uh, phone. It's kind of a vase-shaped, uh, tall, 18 inches tall by about six inches uh, its widest diameter. And it's um, at night time, it completely lights up. It's completely luminous.
2: Yeah, as I said, one landed on my desk. And as I set it up, there's a few things that struck me. Firstly, the design is very eye-catching. As you said, it's quite tall. It's shaped quite like a vase. Uh, And then with the remote control, you can change the color, et cetera. Before we talk about the the function and so on, can you just tell me a little bit about where this idea came from and why you went about creating it?
0: Well, I I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for for many years and I I always wanted to do something for myself. So I, I had the opportunity to leave a few years ago and I was developing and designing. I'd always been developing and designing. Um, products because I, I, I was a problem solver in many industries um, that I worked in before. I wanted to design something that I could also use and other people could use. And I was watching um, a movie one night, uh, an alien movie, and I saw this shape and I thought that was a very interesting shape. And then as I thought about it more, um, it looked like I said, I thought it wouldn't be fabulous if that lit up completely. You could change the color, and then and then I thought maybe uh, you could put it, put a speaker into it. So anyway, it, it evolved into uh, into boom bright. So with the feedback that I got from um, friends and relatives and neighbors and such, they they all seemed to want one. So I decided, okay, let's uh, let's let's do this. So I started to uh, get them manufactured, and um, I, I had a, a good few prototypes made, and eventually got to the one that I have now um, and I started to uh, go to uh, various retailers and um, they liked it and they, they start buying them off of me. You,
2: so you make it true. sound very easy of, you know, going from an idea to execution, but how long was the process from when you first had the idea to those different iterations and feedback sessions and so on to where we are now?
0: Well, for, for Boom Bright, um it took about two years. Mm-hmm to to actually develop it and, and get the, the finished product. So it was a long time it was a long time getting it, um getting it ready for, for uh for customers.
2: And you mentioned there that you worked in the pharmaceutical um side of things before. Yeah. How does that translate to developing tech products then?
0: Well I was uh, engineering um, head in in pharmaceuticals. So what I used to do was maintain equipment and facility equipment, um, and I, I was like a problem solver. So if there was ever any issues with equipment and stuff like that, I, I would um, I would I would fix those problems and design uh, solutions. So that lent itself very well to um, to the business now uh, for designing products.
2: And did you enjoy the process of you know taking that shape that you saw in the movie and? building something that not only looked nice, not only worked as the, the light as you described, but also sounded good as well, because sound quality is important when it comes to these types of devices.
0: Yeah, that was the biggest issue that I had, was making sure that the shape was good enough to have a speaker in it, because most speakers like square boxes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that was developing um, the speaker through a cylindrical shape or a vase shape, that was a difficult process. So we went through a few prototypes to get that right. Um, and we eventually got a really good sounding uh, speaker and that seems to work very well.
2: You mentioned there about mentioned contacting there about retailers, etc. Et et How did you, find, How did that you find that process of bringing, of bringing, bringing an Irish designed, designed and produced product to the, to the market? Was it you, was you know, know, welcome, with, welcome open arms, with open arms, or, or did it take a bit of selling, bit on, of selling your part?
0: on your part? No, I think because the product looks great, the packaging is great. Um people didn't even wait for the sales uh, spiel. They just loved it. They just wanted to open it up and check it out. And they, they were I, I'd say that 95% of the shops that I went into, people they just wanted it wanted it in their store, which was fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that the, the price point it's uh $89.99 if I'm not mistaken. Right. How did you settle upon that as the price point? Because as we've spoken about on this show previously, you know, audio technology, you can kind of charge whatever you want for it. Do you know that way? This is a multi-purpose device that also looks quite interesting and a bit quirky. So how did you decide on the price point?
0: I wanted to, I wanted to make something that was affordable. Um, so it, it, I know 89.99 is um, a little bit expensive, um, but for what it is and what it does, I think it's, I think it's a, a really good deal um and also um the manufacturing is expensive and the packaging is expensive so you have to make a profit obviously to, to to run business
2: you mentioned there about manufacturing et cetera did the pandemic get in the way of the production in any way shape or form
0: oh yeah yeah big big issues with shipping um I, when um when I, when I got the product uh, I was lucky to get the product onto the late late show I, um last 2020 um i got a lot of orders came in and the shipping was a real big issue because of the of the pandemic so that really put me back a bit plus not being able to get out to the retailers uh, during the lockdown i i went uh, online so i focused mainly online which has worked out to the to the better really you know
2: well, look, I, as I said, I, I was instantly intrigued by the product. I've tested it out and I really liked what I saw. Uh, so we do wish you well for the future. Again, the product is called Boom Bright, if you want to look it up and get your hands on one. Uh, Niall Duffy, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk.
0: Thank you very much, Jess.
2: And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can, of course, listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. John Friday's up next year on News Talk. In the meantime, have a good weekend.